Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I'm pleased today to once again welcome my friend Tony Orbin. Tony has been an extractive industry practitioner for more than two decades. His experience cuts across both solid minerals and hydrocarbons. Tony is the immediate past CEO of the Ghana Minerals Commission and former CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Mines. He is currently the founder and president of the Africa Institute of Extractive Industries, an extractive industry think tank based in Ghana. Tony has also written several papers on the industry and contributed chapters to more than six books. Tony, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Sheila, and it's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. Fantastic. So I, I, I wanted us to discuss uh, essentially what in a ESG terms is called the social environment, starting with just the basic question of, uh, you know, a significant part of social environmental risk relates to adjudicating conflicting natural resource needs between extractors developers and communities, especially as relates to renewables. Uh, what is the current thinking in terms of the right way to carry out this adjudication uh, over these renewable resources? Right, Thank, thanks once again. I think that's a very interesting question. Um, the current thinking is uh, uh, it's, it's based on partnership, and fairness and you know just bringing the nexus together in a way that there will be fair distribution of whatever benefit that comes out of the extraction and development of um, the resources um, oftentimes you you see a gap between the extractors developers and the host communities and i mean the social benefit that that, that, that accrue to host uh, communities. I, I think the formula for ensuring this fairness has been the missing link, which has often led to, uh, if you like, disruptions, uh, confusions, and disagreement. And uh, I, I, I must be quick to say that there has been some progress too. I mean, if you look back 20 years ago and now, I think they seem to be a gradual understanding that for the parties to be successful, they must agree to be fair. Hmm. So I'm reminded, uh, Tony, that uh, some of these uh, concepts are easier said than done. Let, let's just deal with a couple of things. The notion of fairness. Uh, who defines what is fair? Absolutely. Again, that's a good question. Um, we have not been able to come into a clear one-size-fits-all definition of what is fair. Um, if if, if uh, the parties are comfortable and they feel that whatever they are getting meets their expectation or even exceeds their expectation, I am sure in their eyes, in that party's eyes, it is fair. But the question is who defines it? Um, is it the, the person with the resources, I mean, the investment resources to extract the resource, the natural resource? 
or the person who adds uh, value to the extracted resources, or is it the community, in which case I will include government in the community. Uh, in, 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 in a very general terms, um, government should be able to say that this is the resource I have. If you are interested, um, you know, come and let's work on a, a partnership. And so you take this, I take that, and you take that. Um, oftentimes, government is on the back foot of they, have, they don't have the full knowledge of even what they have. So the, the, the policies, the regulations, the rules that come out, which appears to be uh, defining the, 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 what constitutes fairness to them is even not right. And then which also brings in, into the fore the need for other um, international bodies to also assist these countries to try and value what they have and be able to define what is fair. But I guess if all of them went onto the table and said, look, let's all work out what will be fair for all of us. Because if it's not rigged in that way, it's not sustainable. If you cheat, if you are a, a, a mining company and you know very well that uh, the returns you are giving to the community is in your own perspective, not enough, but the communities don't understand. So it's okay, let's give it to them as, as they are asked. Eventually, their eyes will open. Eventually, they will begin to know that, look, we are not getting a fair benefit. And this is where the disruption, disagreement, and the confusion comes from. So I, I think that there could be the three parties as, as we have started with, and some third force which is, let's say, an international entity that assists these parties in defining in broad terms what is fair. Mm. So listening to you, I, I'm struck by uh, several things, which I think makes this issue all the more complex. The one being that you have several uh, entities involved, the government, communities, and other international uh, interested parties, or even local Presumably all of them looking at this from a different angle. And, and my sense is that th that is potentially one of the challenges. The other, of course, is that they all bring to bear different standards for evaluating fairness. And and, and so I, I think that perhaps one of the different, the, the very difficult things is exactly that it, it is a moving target. But I wanted to ask you, because you, you spoke of governments, and then we speak of communities. In your experience, what works best? Some people argue that communities must have a direct dialogue with uh, the developer. Others feel that the government of the day, based on the law and other policies, should be the party between the communities and developers. In your experience, which one of those models is likely to achieve this elusive uh, fairness? Well, um, what I have experienced in the last 20 or more years is that if you decided to restrict yourself to any single party, you are doomed to fail one. You are likely to fail if you decided to sort of get stuck with government in trying to define what, or get stuck with communities and, and then um, 
to decide what is fair. Or even the company itself, even being magnanimous, being generous, uh, giving the, the, the free will to define what is fair. This is uh, bound to fail if, if that were to be stuck on. What I think is the definition of levels of engagement. At a very high level, you may have government coming in with a broad policies, policies of local content, policies of uh, environmental uh, management, policies of no, the broad policies, uh, uh, which normally governments make. But government must make those policies on the basis of proper information. Sometimes, and, and I think that's one of the bane of government in, in, in Africa. They, they do so without, in, without adequate uh, information that will guide them to uh, make the proper rules or proper policies and all that. So I think that's one of the challenges. But at a level of, um, I mean, you know, at a broad level, government must have a, 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 a leadership role in that. And the same government must guide the communities because the government may have more resources for the communities to have a bit more understanding of what they have and, and sometimes even build their own needs, define their own needs. i give you one example. Um, I was involved in uh, 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 community resettlement and some of the things that the communities asked for, I felt that they were actually just very nice things that they were asking for, but really were not very useful to them. For instance, they were asking for community bathrooms, community toilets, like open, I mean, community bathrooms, which is not really a cultural uh, thing for them. You know, we don't have community bathrooms as part of our culture, but the thing is an addition to infrastructure. You will see some, you know, some solid blocks being put there, community bathroom, and 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 uh, you think that that would be fine, but but in 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 all fairness, it's not useful because in the case that I'm talking about, that that facility was never used, and in fact, it was used for purpose that that I cannot even describe. So I, I think sometimes communities must be helped to even define their own interests, define their own needs. So, but they would have to be able to engage with the, the, the companies that work with them because they, they can better define their immediate needs. They can better, uh, they, they bear the brunt of the activities of the, the, the extractor. So they must as well be able to say, this is what we are suffering. These are our priorities. These are the things that we need. Um, and, and, and so on and so forth. So I think that the various levels of engagement are important. They are all important. It is the question of the extent, the extent to which the, those engagement must be made. And, and uh, I think that it must be a continuous, effective one based on openness and information, proper information, proper facts. Hmm. So Listening to you, I, I, I can't also help but detect another complexity, which is that uh, we come to the communities with the assumption that they have taken stock of their needs and that the way they define their needs really speaks to their economic and social well-being. What you're saying is often what the communities ask 
is, is not transformational. Actually, it doesn't speak to their development needs that even if they get those things, they might not. And I guess it is here that you need international standards that are accepted, but also a government that defines that landscape to say, if you do this in your engagement of communities, then you have uh, added value because it, it doesn't follow that the communities is sufficiently informed uh, and sufficiently able to relate their needs to the value of the opportunity cost of, for instance, forfeiting land and other resources. Let me uh, ask you something else. I mean, if one takes a simplistic view, communities are compensated for forfeiting access to land, for instance, which is why they would be resettled. Uh, communities are also compensated for sharing uh, forests, for sharing water with uh, developers. But my sense is that with the advent of ESG, this is not sufficient any longer. Uh, the expectation is that much more can and should be done. What else is expected beyond compensating for the opportunity cost of using renewable resources? Right. That, that's, uh, again, another interesting and uh, very complex question. Um, you know, the, the issue of compensation may well be compensating for what is and not what would be in the future. Sometimes we look more into a building that I am going to have, I'm going to have to lose because of development, and which is a building for me today. If we define sustainable development as a, a, a um, you know a context, well, as 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 a something that looks at what you need today, and also since we are all transient, uh, it means that there are other people. Who has to who have to have access to the resource in in any form? It may not be the gold itself, but or the mineral the, the mineral itself, but it may be in different form that they must be able to access. So the definition of what is compensation to go beyond um, the, the the requirement for the day, and 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 focus also on the future. The future has to also do with future of living, future of the environment, future of the climate and everything. So it's, it's, it's a myriad of, of uh, issues that you need to look in at in terms of compensation for the future. It is no longer uh, just building, um, you know, building uh, blocks or building factories that would actually uh, compensate for for the people but if you look at compensation for the future as well then one has to look beyond those material product uh, uh, provision uh, at particular times because so so i think uh, it's it's very important that we begin to look at what we do today the compensation we give today and its implication for the future which is which is which is uh, uh, unknown so uh, I, I think that's that's where the the, the, the real uh, would be. Mm. What is it that for the present generation and the future generation as well? 
So it, once we are able to unlock uh, that conundrum, um, uh, we, we are not appropriately compensating uh, for the exploitation of our resources. So on thinking about uh, the interaction of extractive developers, governments, and communities, there is, of course, the social element. Uh, there is also the economic element. And that there is what I think is the human rights element. Let me uh, try and, and clarify that. So the way I see things is that when speaking about access to water, land, forestry, and all the things that are essential for people's living both today and tomorrow, to your point, this becomes primarily a human rights rather than an economic development issue. In other words, the right to be able to make a living, the right to have a roof over your head. Uh, am I crazy to think that way? Well, it, you know, you, you are not crazy at all. I think that's the way we should be thinking. And even, I mean, let me just even uh, say that even the lawyers are now looking at justiciability of these rights, of these, uh, you know, the right to life, I mean, I mean, I mean the, the right to economic, to economic uh, development, the access of, uh, uh, to clean water, and all these things. These may look like um, something that you, you ordinarily would not be able to go to court. Now, in the emerging laws that are coming, most countries are including the fact that the absence of these rights can be um, you know, taken to court. So that seemed to me more the future of, of, of the way we will, we will define um, the, the the compensations. We would have to look at it from a right point, a human right point, right to, I mean, access to, to water, uh, a right of access to food, basic needs, and all those things. And if they are deprived by uh, the process of extraction or process of development, these who are affected by, by, by them must be able to seek redress in the, in the law courts. So I think that's that's where we are we are we are headed. We are headed way where right will not just be right that we talk about uh, will not just be simple needs, but they are needs that can be um, actually uh, you know judicialized in court. So let me turn that question on its head and say that uh, the responsibility to ensure that people can egg a living because they have access to basic resources is really a responsibility of the government of the day, not a mining or an oil producer, is what I'm saying. And so by not providing these resources up front for citizens, in a way, we create uh, a situation in which the developers and communities are at loggerheads. Isn't it that if governments made sure people had the means to egg a living, that this matter would not arise? No, you, 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 you're partly right. And uh, uh, partly, uh, uh, you know, debatable. You know, in the first place, government negotiate with the 
with the development at a higher level. Government package their resources and go out there and tell investors that, look, guys, we have minerals in our countries. We have, um, if you come to exploit or if you come and invest, you will have this portion, we will have this portion. And the expectation is that whatever government receives, uh, you know, trickles down to communities that are affected by the, the process of extraction. So the, ideally, this is how it should be. But government oftentimes, because of inadequate information, they should change themselves through the process of negotiations because they, don't, they wouldn't have enough information. They, you know, and I have always said that we have always been fixated with uh, the financial benefits of, of extraction, like taxes. You know, every, you, you see all the documents, we take 5% taxes and 10% taxes, royalties. We haven't looked at our, our natural resources as a develop, developmental uh, resources, resources that must lead to development. It's not just the taxes, because the taxes, yes, once taxes go to uh, government, government have uh, a lot of things that they want to do with, with that, including in some cases, money is dissipated through corruption. So if we saw that the, the mineral in a particular geography uh, is there to ensure that lives are transformed, that people get access to education, quality education, that people get access to quality health, that people get access to transportation and all those things, I think um, there will be much less confrontation between or conflict between the developing uh, entities and uh, the communities. Sometimes government leaves them, leave that need into the hands of the community, which arguably are weak and are unable to sort of uh, define their own interests with the, the, the extracting companies. So I think it's a failure of government in many cases. Uh, in, in Africa, we have only a few examples, maybe Botswana would be one of the uh, countries that have uh, historically been able to uh, have a fair uh, relationship with these uh, developers or extractors. And, and, and so, so far we speak of the country as a major success stories, story in Africa as regards the extraction of natural resources. So I, I, I think it's, it's in most cases, failure of government to be fair and fair, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and demonstrate knowledge in negotiating with uh, uh, these extracting, extractive companies. And, 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 and so it, it, it puts a problem on the companies, but most companies then becomes uh, pseudo developers in the in the communities. They are now being called upon to construct road, to to build hospital as uh, corporate social responsibility project and all that. But I think it's about time we defined uh, mining the minerals that we have as as a source of real uh, transformation as a catalyst for real development and not a source of employment, source of uh, uh, taxation and all those traditional definition of benefits from uh, extraction of our natural resources. Yeah, that's a very interesting point because you would think uh, given the so-called resource curse, uh, but also given the experience we have that very often 
the material value, the financial value from uh, the extraction that passes on to government doesn't trickle down. You would think we would rethink that model and say, okay, uh, after 60 years of assuming that if you pay tax, the uh, communities will be better or we know better, let's find a different way. So why do you think that despite this, despite this experience that we know that ultimately, uh, once the money gets into the coffers, uh, it goes into all areas and much less to the, why do we think we still stick to this model? Sheila, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, governments have a very short term in power. Uh, whatever, there's a party, not government. Parties are very short term in power. And sometimes their own goals are different from um, the, the interest of, of those from whose area the strategy takes place. Because, of course, you may not find mineral being well spread all over the, the, the country. It may be locked, concentrated in certain areas. Now, so if government um, would not negotiate for taxes that come to the central kitty, then they will not have control over what they want to do, which may not be what is good for uh, certain areas. So I think that is the problem. Our governments haven't learned lessons. They haven't thought deeply. They still are sort of fixated on how much money do we get from this uh, extractive company? How much, is, how much uh, people would they be able to employ, regardless of the quality of people being employed? I mean, you can employ hundreds of thousands of laborers, ordinary laborers whose, whose returns, whose salaries may be peanuts, but they have employed them. So it is not about how much schools can we build, how much uh, hospitals can we build that will hold uh, improved health for us, that will ensure that our children uh, get better education so that they can work in these areas and receive much higher returns than just being cleaners and 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 and, uh, and messengers in, in these offices. So so I think that the government has not sort of bothered itself to 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 spend time to think about issues like this because they have seen the 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 the, the, the actors in those areas see their lives as spanning four years or eight years. And therefore they must quickly do what they intended to do and also make money for themselves as we see that people eventually get themselves into very corrupt act and get away with that. So I, I, think, I think it's a failure of, of government to focus on the broad development of uh, the people, uh, but rather trying to spend their a short term in, in the office and, uh, and, and then achieve their own parochial uh, interest, which is defined sometimes in their manifestos or sometimes by, their, uh, by themselves as individuals and as groups. Yeah, you make a very interesting and very valuable point, of course, which we must always be mindful of, which is that uh, the party that is in government does not always speak for the interest of the nation. Uh, it often speaks for the interests of the party and, and the advancement of those who are in the party. And, and we falsely start with the premise that governments, by definition, speak for the people that they represent. And I think that is a very important thing, because if, if we get it wrong in from the start with that assumption, then we are going to be, uh, you know, setting ourselves for a fall. But... I, I do have to ask you uh, one last question. 
I mean, when all said and done, project sponsors will do what is necessary to manage social risk, including to your point, becoming defect at the local government and providing all social services. But this is not sustainable, is it, uh, Tony, that uh, governments can hide under the pretext of social uh, responsibility, when in effect, it is the government that must provide the services. I totally agree with you. I mean, you can develop with social, corporate social responsibility because corporate social responsibility is a corporate subconscious. It is more about how the corporation feels. It is uh, the corporation's conscience. Some corporations may not even have conscience at all, but they will not be breaking any law. The laws are there and they may be, and most companies respect the laws of the that, That's, that's uh, one thing that I have observed. But um, you cannot build or develop a country on the back of social responsibility. No, it must be a responsibility of government uh, which actually deliberately look for the interests of, of, of its people, try to define what, uh, I mean, along with its people, what uh, will advance, uh, will transform the um, which is what is lacking in, in most part of our, our continent. So um, the, the truth is you cannot develop corporate social responsibility. I, I, I think corporate social responsibility is okay, it's, it's right, but it's more about, about, about the corporation's conscience. Uh, there's no compulsion in that. Um, if if, if uh, a corporate entity decides to be tokenistic, it doesn't make any difference. You know, he would have done something, especially when it meets all its legal requirements. But I think if the legal and regulatory requirements are clear and governments are also willing to uh, apply proceeds uh, that come from the relationship for the benefit of the people, we will all be fine. The question is, governments don't often negotiate well sometimes not through their fault, it's just the capacity that, that, that they have. But these capacities, capacities can also be bought. But corporate entities must also know that when government don't have those capacities, it would be useful for them to also support them with the capacity because eventually, in the long run, it will come back to bite them. Your question was uh, sustainable. If, if you negotiate with the party which is coming from a very weak source, you will live to negotiate again because when that party becomes more uh, aware, they would have to, they, they will begin to make different demands. They will begin to question uh, the agreements or the understandings that have been reached long ago. So I, I think for it to be fair for even companies that are negotiating with government to ensure that they come clean with information and they also support government with capacity to negotiate for a fair, a fair, a fair deal or a fair outcome, in which case that is likely to sustain longer than uh, uh, one would have anticipated. Fantastic. I think that is a good note to leave the conversation for now, but no doubt we will be back speaking about different aspects of this. Thank you very much, Tony, for joining the Shila Kama Extractive Podcast.
Thank you, Sheila. As always, I I really enjoy, uh, you know, following your the conversation with other other people as well, and it's been very educative to me and to colleagues who have been following you. Thank you. Thank you very much.